0: This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. I'm your host, Asher Tolliver. Wow, we are just wrapping up what was an absolutely incredible Squad Fest 2022. I can't thank everyone enough that came out. You know, I've got to admit, uh, there was a lot of nerves and anxiety leading up. I know I wasn't the only one, but others on our staff, we were pretty nervous about this event just because of everything going on right now with the inflation, the gas prices. And we were really worried about uh, people being willing to, to come out and travel and oh my gosh we were just absolutely blown away by the turnout you know we went from headquarters last year which was covering a you know a pretty small footprint in relation to 370 lakeside park so it was quite a jump up we went from having i think maybe 10 vendors to 35 this year so the footprint of the park itself was absolutely massive and um I don't even know what to say other than last weekend was just absolutely amazing and you know I, I started feeling some relief. We were getting close to noon on Friday and there was already people walking around and really we hadn't even officially opened and by twelve fifteen there were people everywhere at all the tents, blowing calls, checking out products and it was just unbelievable. All the vendors that I talked to seemed like they had a very successful show. Uh, we had an insane number of callers that came out and participated. There's really no other words to describe it other than it was just an amazing weekend, and we couldn't have done it without the support from all of you guys. So thank you very, very much. All of the vendors, thank you for trusting in us and believing that you know we. We could get people to come by their booths and check out their calls or their products they were offering. All the callers that took home prizes or the callers that stepped on stage for the first time, it's a great job. It's a tough thing to do to get up there in front of all those people. And um, I think I said it in an Instagram post or something last week, maybe a Facebook group post, but if you didn't take home any prizes or any money, use that as motivation to keep practicing and Maybe one day that will be you because you got to start somewhere. And for all of you guys that stepped on stage for the first time, whether it was in a junior contest or a novice contest, uh, well done, guys. Our judges calling contest volunteers, thank you so much for sitting at those tables. Uh, It was hot out there. Friday wasn't too terribly bad. We had some nice cloud cover. It it did get warm uh, later in the afternoon on Friday. But, man, Saturday was hot. And you guys sitting there – And uh, hanging through all those contests on Saturday in that heat and just doing a wonderful job judging, running scores, MC, the ICA. Thank you guys so very much. Uh, Marty Roberts, uh, great seminars Friday and Saturday. Uh, Thank you very, very much, Marty and Sporting Life Kennels. Murphy 500, Justin Easton, man, you guys absolutely killed it. Saturday night was a blast. Um, The music was was absolutely fantastic and a a special great job to our staff, Uh, starting with Ashley and the excellent job she did putting everything together. Cody, Aaron, Phil, Kyle, all of our marketing team, Jordan, Jake, Ben, all the guys and gals in fulfillment operations, uh, the folks you don't get to see from as much. Man, they absolutely kicked ass. And they killed it. They did a wonderful job. So all of our staff, thank you all so very much for your hard work and effort that went into last weekend and leading up to last weekend. We are excited to announce Squad Fest 2023 is on the books. It's going to be July 28th and 29th. Friday and Saturday again at the same location, 370 Lakeside Park in St. Peter's, Missouri. You guys seem to love it. The feedback that we got from everybody, all the people that came to the show, all the vendors, you know, Dive Bomb personally, we loved it. We loved the layout, and we've got some big plans on how we can expand this thing and make it an even better experience for everybody involved. So, we're gonna be back at 370 Lakeside Park. It's never too early to go ahead and mark your calendar. So plan on being there. Um, I got to meet so many people that came up and said, "Hey, I listened to the podcast," or "Hey, i you know, we've chatted back and forth in the Facebook group or Instagram or whatever it may be. And I just got to say that was absolutely awesome. There was lots of times where people would kind of come up with a little hesitation and say, Hey man, I, you know, I know you're busy. I don't want to bother you, but you know, I just wanted to, you know, maybe ask a question or get a picture and I just want all of you to know that that came up and, and, um, you know, did approach any of us that you wanted to speak to. Like we, we really appreciate that. That means a lot. I know half the weekend, a lot of us were probably running, uh, like, like madmen with a, like a chicken with her head cut off. But, Um, that means a lot when you guys come out and, uh, you know, tell us about a great experience you had with the product or something that we did that you liked. Um, that's really, really cool. Honestly, that by far hands down is my favorite part of squad fest. I mean, I loved everything we had going on and all the events and all the cool stuff, but just getting to meet people that honestly feel like friends, but, I've never met them in person or shook their hand. Getting the opportunity to put a face and a personality uh, just with a name and a profile picture on Facebook or social media is, is pretty cool. So thank you all that, that came up and, and introduced yourself and, and gave some kind words or whatnot, because that, that really does mean a lot to us. And uh, not just myself, but I know all of our staff, um, they, they greatly, greatly appreciate that. Moving on, uh, this is going to be my last podcast episode for a while. I talked about it at the end of the last episode very, very briefly. But just to give a little rundown, we've gotten so busy. And with season approaching, I'm already struggling to keep up with these even bi biweekly. Uh, so, so we're going to take a, a break for a little bit. I want to thank all of you for listening and all the – Kind words of support over the last few years for this podcast. Each episode has gotten an insane number of downloads. Some of them were just crazy, crazy, uh, and we can't thank you enough for tuning in. I'm definitely far from the most exciting guide to listen to, and pretty, pretty laid back, and probably put some of you to sleep. But uh, I am very passionate about this crazy addiction uh, known as waterfowling, as well as a lot of the guest that I've had on and and special speakers and whatnot. So I I do hope you all have enjoyed it. Again, I don't know the future of the squad cast at this time. Uh, We've just got to get through a very, very busy season ahead and reevaluate. So with our marketing efforts and all the YouTube and different outlets that you see us on uh, we travel so much and all the editing of, of photos and videos and just the day-to-day administrative type stuff. It uh, it, it takes a lot of time and, and a lot of time the windows I have between these trips is, is extremely small. And the squad cast has been amazing, but it's just something... I'm just just straight up, I'm having trouble keeping up with it. Um, you know, sometimes it's tough getting coordinated with guests, especially when I'm working in really, really small windows that I, I can have people on, and that's been a struggle as well. You know, other podcast shows, you know, they're probably not traveling uh, as much as we are or gone as much, and they're able to schedule guests, um, you know, probably pretty easily, you know, you can work around the schedule for your guests, but with us, the windows that I have are so small to be able to get people on and trying to sync that up with other people that are insanely busy is, it's very much a struggle. And we've been able to make it work. Um, you know, last year you heard from several different hosts and, uh, this spring and summer I've been, been able to make it work and we very well might come back and bring it back um but for right now we're going to take a little bit of of a break but it, nothing's going to change our availability um all the other platforms we're here and we're available and um uh, just cuz it's something we may not have spoke about on here doesn't mean we can't help you so i just wanted to let you all know that uh, nothing's changing there and and we don't know the future here we may be back uh, sooner rather than later but we are going to take a little bit of a break for right now Okay, now on to the fun stuff. I do not have a guest lined up for today. What I've got is over the last several months, I've had a few people reach out, well, more than a few, probably six or eight. They are people that have been waterfowl hunting for a little while and they've tossed around the idea of freelancing and they're just intimidated by the thought of it, and they don't really know how to get started. Now, I know for some of you that have been doing this a long time, you probably think, oh, it's crazy, like it's easy. We go to you know, Canada or North Dakota or wherever, every year, and we just do great. Um, but a lot of people, they might not have had the, uh, maybe a mentor or a, a guide not a guide guide like a hunting guide, but somebody in their group guiding them uh, and teaching them maybe the things that we learn sooner or earlier than somebody else. So stuff that might just be elementary to one guy that's been freelancing for a while could be very, very intimidating to another guy that's actually never done it. So I want to dedicate the time in this episode uh, I'm not going to get overly long, but I just b- because there's so many variables. I mean, gosh, I could talk about this for uh, a, a day straight um, with all the variables in waterfowl hunting if we really, really wanted to. But we're just going to talk about general freelance waterfowling and the steps that uh, a guy or a guy and his friends need to take to give them the confidence to uh, make that trip. Now. Going back to kind of the squad fest thing, it might be tough to get a little confidence right now with the fuel prices, especially if you're driving a diesel. But I'll just give a little precursor to this. Um, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe 10 or 11 years ago now is when we took our first trip uh, north freelancing from Arkansas with with a bunch of my friends. And, you know, we, we didn't have much money, and five of us jammed into a ford f-150 and made a 30 hour drive north just because we none of us could get off of our wallets for that much money i don't know what the gas prices were at the time but i say that to say it can be done guys if you got buddies that want to go if there's a will there's a way and uh we had a tiny little enclosed trailer and five of us jammed into a ford f-150 and well i tell you what you get a you know, 12, 14, 16 hours in, it starts to get a little uncomfortable. When you start getting up 20 hours plus, it's like you're you're kind of rethinking your choices to make that trip. But I'll tell you what, I have some amazing memories from those trips. Not just the hunting itself, but just the drives there and back. Uh, there's just something about it that's just refreshing and wholesome with your friends. I don't really know how to explain it, but it's something that's really etched into my mind. And I can remember things very, very vividly from from several years ago that weren't the most pleasant at the time. You know, some of the hotels and doubling up places maybe a little dirtier than what we're used to. Um, But they're amazing memories. And you can do this stuff on a budget. You know, if you are listening and maybe you're not established in a career or, or don't have a lot of money, you know, set aside for something like this, it can be done. You just got to have some friends that, that are go-getters and willing to do it, and you might have to rough it a little bit. You know, you can't stop it and sit down at a restaurant and spend a bunch of money, you know, every time you get hungry. You know, you might, you might need to be... uh take in the old Coleman stove and bring some rice and some marinade and we've done it. I mean, I'm just telling you, we've done it and you can do it and you can do it on a budget, especially if you got some friends willing to go in. So the first step is going to be, where do I start? If you've never left your home state, you're probably saying, okay, where do I start? And you know, I'm not a big fan of internet scouting, but there is a lot of information out there on the internet if you're willing to do some research. Uh, some old forums, there's there's some incredible information and in Intel on old forums, uh, Google Maps, and you're just going to have to spend time at the computer on your phone. When I say time, like hours and hours and hours dissecting this information and these maps and deciding where you want to go. Now, when you hear the word freelance, you know, a lot of people might get upset about this, but the reality is when people hear freelance, this is nothing new to the listeners of the Squadcast because every Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl and Wildfowl and American Waterfowler and Gundog Magazine, every, you know, publication out there has spoken about freelance opportunities in, in North Dakota and the prairies of canada so we're not giving away any secrets here i will definitely not be disclosing any specific locations but for the most part we all know when people refer to freelancing they're heading north to the uh, prairie pothole region so that's not a secret um but you but you do have to determine are you going to stay in the states or are you going to go across the border to canada now obviously the times that we're living in now going across the border to Canada it requires the vaccination. So if the vaccination is something that you've gotten, then uh, you can open up the possibility of crossing the border into Canada. If you don't have the vaccination and you don't want to get vaccinated, then uh, your option is to stay uh, below the border and you can have phenomenal waterfowl hunting in the states just as phenomenal as you can in canada you just have to determine first uh where you're going to go and where you need to be doing your scouting and and focusing your efforts to determine uh where to go but you know you do enough looking around do enough research if you get in the prairie pothole region you're going to find waterfowl you just have to be able to scout for waterfowl once you get to your location that you're planning on being so you've picked a location whether it's in in Canada or the Dakotas or wherever I'm not saying you're even limited to those when it comes to freelancing you can certainly do freelancing in many many other states I'm just talking about the states that are most common when people think of September and October early in the year because typically when most people's seasons come into play where they're from that's where they're going back home to do their waterfowling. So like I'm in in Arkansas in November years ago, once our season opened, I wasn't going anywhere else. So a lot of people, there are freelancing opportunities in other States that the opportunities are very, very small and you might get 15 no's for every one. Yes. But that doesn't mean there's not still opportunities to freelance. Uh, You certainly can, uh, the places I'm talking about, the the ground is just a lot more accessible. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get no's because you definitely will, especially in areas that receive more hunter pressure than others. You're going to get no's, but you have to be prepared for that. That's why you've got to be able to scout and find multiple options because you put all your eggs in one basket and you get a no, then you're not hunting the next day and you traveled a long ways to not hunt. So you picked a location. Now... You have to decide what what are you going to be targeting, or what you want to target. Now, obviously, your location is going to determine the species that you're targeting. But I guess getting a little further down to building your spread accordingly to what you're targeting, you've got to decide: Are we going to do we want to kill them in the fields, or do we want to kill them over water, over potholes? Now, if you're wanting to shoot them in the fields, then you're going to probably have to have a bigger spread it's gonna require a larger spread and we're gonna we can go over that some if you're gonna concentrate on shooting smaller potholes and you, you just say hey, we're, we just want to kill ducks we want to hunt ducks over a smaller pothole man I mean you can head up with a couple dozen floaters and a you know a few spinners and you can have some success uh, over water with with a lot of fewer decoys but most people that are heading north to freelance at least like myself we like to shoot them in the fields uh we like to find big big bunches you know go out scout and find big big feed set up on an x and shoot them in the field be ready for them the next morning so like i said your location wherever you're at is going to determine what you're what you're chasing as far as species and how you need to set up. So if you're in, you know, southwestern Manitoba, you might be focusing more on ducks and you might be shooting some potholes. If you're uh, in western Saskatchewan, you might be focusing more on specks. You might say, hey, I want to go shoot some specks and some snows and then you've got your ducks. Uh, You might be uh, in Manitoba and outside of Winnipeg and you say, okay, uh, we're going to shoot honkers. We're focusing on honkers. You might say, Hey, I'm going to go up around the quill lakes. We want to shoot snows. So obviously your spread that you head north with is dependent on the location that you've settled on. So that's a pretty tough one for me to talk about because Like I said earlier, this thing could get really, really long if I tried to go over every spread that you needed for all the species of the prairies. So we'll just stay pretty general. For starters, my recommendation is getting three or four buddies, maybe even five, and taking one truck. Now, I know that's not ideal for scouting purposes, but for fuel prices right now, it makes the most sense. If you have a topper on that truck, it is definitely possible to make the trip north without an enclosed trailer. I've hunted some absolutely monster, monster spreads out of the bed of my truck. One thing you do have to keep in mind, uh, if you've got dogs and kennels, that takes up a lot of room. Uh, Your personal luggage, that takes up a lot of room. Boots, guns, all that stuff. So... You know, you you just kind of have to determine all of those things and say, can we fit this stuff in a truck bed or do we have to have an enclosed trailer? Now, if you've got two guys, three and one dog, I think you can do it out of a truck bed. Now, again, we're getting pretty situational because now are you planning to hunt A-frame style blinds? Are you planning to hunt Layout blinds or are you planning to hunt on backboards with ghillie blankets? Now backboards with gillies, that's gonna take up very, very little space. Um one A frame not gonna take up too much space. Two or three layouts, that's gonna take up quite a bit of space. So you get more than about three guys and one retriever, even with a topper, you're you're probably gonna have to go with the enclosed trailer. But it doesn't have to be a big giant enclosed trailer it just needs to have enough room for all the essentials for the trip if you're going to drive that far i mean i like to be prepared for whatever the situation throws if we got to get in the middle of the field and layouts or with gillies and backboards we can do that if we get a good edge and we want to hunt out of a frames we can do that as well so again you just kind of have to look at your equipment and what you've got on hand like maybe you don't have the budget to have all those things for that trip maybe you you just have an a-frame and that's fine you say okay hey we're gonna hunt a-frames we're gonna hunt edges so we'll say you've done a little bit of uh, research and you've determined we're gonna hunt in fields and this area generally has we'll just say dark geese we'll just say dark geese in general so whether that's you know honkers big ones uh, lessers specs whatever we'll say dark geese and ducks. so we're going to try to hunt dark geese and ducks in field so whether it's a combo feed or just darks we'll just play for that situation so you and your buddies you have an a-frame blind and you're trying to figure out what decoys you need to take so the foundation of my spread i would absolutely start with some sort of V2 Canada. So whether it's the V2s, the V2Fs, or the V2FFs, again, that's another variable that you have to determine. What's your budget? How much are you going to use them in regular season or in the future? And then you just have to make the the best decision based on your group. So I can't tell you exactly which one you need to buy. Uh, there is an episode that we talk about the differences in each one. An earlier Squadcast episode that you might find helpful. But... For time purposes in this episode, we can't go over all that. But the foundation of my spread is going to make up uh, somewhat of the V2 Canada's. Now, you know, I, I like to have contrast in my spread. I like to mix in some colors in my spread. That's why I always like to have ducks in my spread. I like to have specs in my spread. I personally like to run bigger rather than smaller. Uh, I feel like bigger... You get away with a lot more air. Bigger hides more flaws. Bigger hides, poor hides, people pie-facing, dogs moving around. I think you can overwhelm birds. You can take advantage of their greediness by running bigger. We have great success running big. Now, there's certainly times that uh, we like to go on the smaller side, but typically we're running big. For dark feeds, it's nothing for us to run 60, 70 dozen 50, 60 darks, and 10, 15 dozen ducks. So then you start talking about, okay, how do I break these down into what I need? And then if you add, you know, your other duck species, you know, like your pintail or your widgeon, this stuff can get even crazier. But generally, I would say make up 80% of your spread, maybe even 85 or 90% of your spread, depending on what the feed looks like with your dark goose decoys. So I'm going to go really, really heavy with the Canada's. I'm going to mix in some specks, you know, if they're in there, and then I'm going to mix in some ducks. The thing you hear all the time is match the hatch. You know, you want to look like what was in the field. Now, if there's, you know, five or 10,000 birds in the field, there's no way we can replicate that in size with our spread. But we can try to give it a similar look. So I really like the change in contrast and colors in the spread you know a lot of people they can go out and they're going to be successful with 100 percent canadas um this is just my opinion on how we like to do things and when i say canadas this could be a combination of of black and whites uh fully flocked uh v2as the alternate poses so that's a whole nother conversation again, breaking all that down and getting really, really specific. And if somebody listens to this and they want to go and give me the exact time frame they're going and where they're going and they want my input or somebody with die bombs input on exactly what they need, I'll be more than happy uh, to guide you in the right direction. But I'm just trying to give a general outline of what somebody is going to need to go North and be successful and, in my opinion, you need to set a good footprint. Like a lot of these fields are absolutely massive and these X's, even though they might be in that field day to day, the the X within the X might change. And the bigger your footprint can be, the more visibility you got, the better chances that you have of drawing the birds to your spread. And I think 25 dozen is a great place to start. Uh, I wouldn't Feel comfortable in a big giant pea field with five or ten dozen decoys. I know there's people listening that have been successful with that. I'm not saying otherwise. I'm just saying we like to run bigger and we've found insane success the bigger that we've gone. Okay, so now we've determined our location and we've determined what we need to take to that particular location. Now, we got a scout. Now we got to find the bird. So doing all this legwork ahead of time really does us no good if we don't know how to find the bird. So as a general starting point in an area on really, really dry years, use your Google maps, download offline maps if you have to, if you're in an area that has poor service and you're going to have to look for big water. Uh the birds are going to be more concentrated on those really, really dry years near big water. Uh, On years that are wetter, the birds might be spread out a little bit more. You might have a lot of birds in one spot, a lot of birds in another spot, a few birds in one spot, a few birds in one spot, rather than just having a big pile of birds on a couple different routes. So, you know, at times both of them can be challenging in their own right, and both of them can be pretty easy. Uh, when it comes to scouting but you know it just depends on the year and the time of year and the pressure and and the weather and a lot of other factors but typically dry years find big water wet years find good concentrations of birds in a general area so you locate on the map you find some water you find some birds and it's the middle of the day and birds aren't going anywhere so you got up there and you're prepared to hunt the next day so you're gonna scout that afternoon hunt the next day my advice is if you want to be successful freelance waterfowl hunting you have to scout more than you hunt that's all there is to it if you think you're just gonna go up there and hunt hunt scout hunt hunt more times than not you're not gonna be successful you have to be able to pattern these birds get them locked in and determine whether you're hunting in the mornings or you're hunting in the afternoons now if you have multiple two three trucks and groups of guys out scouting to keep eye on birds while other groups are hunting you could probably spend more time hunting and and have people swap in and out of the field and somebody else go in the truck scouting but if you've tried to save on gas money and you're all in one truck you got to scout 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 that's all there is to it you it's nothing it's been absolutely nothing for us to scout for four or five hours in an afternoon not that they were necessarily flying for four or five hours straight but just trying to find concentrations of birds to scout whenever they did get up and go hit for their evening feed so you have to spend time scouting guys like i cannot stress that enough if you do not scout properly or you think you've got a spot like kind of figured out you're going to get burned. You're going to waste hunts and you're going to burn hunts. Those birds are going to move, that X is going to move and you you're going to screw yourself. You have to scout and you have to scout hard. So when you find those birds before, you know, a few hours before dark, if you're in an area that's got a pretty good concentration of birds, they're going to start kicking around and they're going to start flying around, they're going to start heading out to hit the fields for the evening and that's whenever you have to be able to burn the road up you cannot stay on the blacktop all the time when you're scouting you have to get off of the main roads and you got to get back on the back roads there's going to be times that you might not see any birds and then you top a hill and there's a spot just absolutely loaded so if you're in hill country and stuff that's not really, really flat, that's a time that you have really, really have to be willing to get off the beaten path and do some driving and sometimes just driving, sitting, and glassing. So if you're not really having any luck finding anything, sometimes all it takes is getting in a decently high point in your binoculars and just scanning the horizon. And sometimes all it takes is finding one group And following them in your binoculars and seeing where they go down to lead you to the promised land. We've done that so many times that the sky just never came alive like it was supposed to. And all of a sudden, I saw six or eight off in the distance, follow them, follow them, follow them, and boom, they ball up. And all of a sudden, we shoot several miles over there, and there's birds just piling in there from a different direction that we couldn't even see. So... When you're scouting in an area, sometimes the best method is if you're not having any luck, you're covering a lot of ground, just sitting and looking for them and find them. Glass and binoculars have several guys and just see if you can find some birds somewhere and just pinpoint where they're going. That can be extremely, extremely successful. But you've got to cover ground and you got to get off the blacktop. You cannot scout from the blacktop all day, plus any competition that's around if there's birds off the blacktop, you know everybody's going to know about them. Like your best bet is to try to find some birds that people haven't been messing with or haven't been hunted hard and your odds of permission are likely to be much better. But I don't I don't really know what else I can say about scouting other than you it has to be the most important aspect of the freelance you figure out your scouting and your hunting schedule and stick to it. Like if you have a bad morning hunt, so say you scouted the evening before and you thought you had a good morning hunt lined up and it turned out to not be that good and then you're like, "Oh, let's roll the dice for an afternoon hunt on this other spot." It's like, "Man, you might be roll the dice that afternoon might suck and then you screwed yourself again for the next morning." So, you know, you're just you're better off to just stick to a pattern of scouting and hunting. And If the birds tell you otherwise or tell you you need to be scouting in the morning and hunting in the afternoon or scouting in the afternoon and hunting in the morning, you can do that, but um, you have to scout. One quick tip I've got on on scouting is when we would go with five guys and it was really crowded in the truck, a lot of times what we would do is we would scout so late. It gets dark so late up there and you're so tired from hunting that morning and scouting all afternoon that you know, it's really tiring to want to come in and like make dinner and stuff like that. So a lot of times what we would do is leave one guy behind and he would have dinner ready for when everybody else got back so that there wasn't a lag of an hour and an hour and a half. And by the time you get dinner cooked and eat and it's freaking midnight before you're going to bed and you're turning around in, in just a few hours to go set up decoys. So that's one little tip that we always did that worked out really really well for us alright so you have scouted hard and you've located some birds and now you got to figure out how to get permission to hunt these birds so Yonex maps is a great tool your eye hunter you know those come in handy but oftentimes your best bet is just asking somebody in the nearest house uh, they, they might not be the owner but there's a good chance they know who the owner is and they they're liable to have their number. So that's typically the most effective route. I've found that getting somebody in person rather than on the phone, it's a lot easier to earn their trust and they're much less likely to turn you down. I've had much better success with people in person than I have on the phone. So I always try to get somebody face to face before I call them. So a a few tips. Um, First thing is don't be scared to to go knock on a door and ask, or if you see somebody driving slow down a road that looks like they're from around there, like don't be afraid to like wave somebody down. Uh, they might look at you like you're a little crazy um and people might answer the door uh a little scared because you're the first person that's knocked on their door in like a month, uh especially unexpected, you know these days with cell phones, I mean, I live in the city when somebody knocks on my door, I'm like, "Who the heck's at my house you know but 15 years ago, you're like, ah, somebody's at the house. So, you know, that can be a little, maybe sketchy for them. Uh, so a little advice, like one, don't be scared. The worst thing that can happen is they say no. But if you are in a really remote area, um, when you do knock on the door, just take a couple steps back, not only just giving people some space and comfort, but you know, with COVID and everything, uh, some people might not be comfortable being face to face with you whenever they open the door. So, Knock on the door, step back, and give people plenty of space. They're likely not used to a daily random visitor. Uh, But normally, whenever the conversation starts, you know, and you flag somebody down or somebody does answer the door, they're usually overly friendly. Um, I've found tons of times that people will just open up to you inside of five minutes, just everything, and all of a sudden you went from having no ground to hunt to 15,000 acres to hunt uh, just by being kind and letting people know your intentions right out of the gate. Introduce yourself in a kind manner. Uh, let them know that you're hunting waterfowl with your friends. Let them know where you traveled from. Just Just explain the situation exactly the way it is. Hey, I'm Asher Tolliver. I drove up from Central Arkansas with my buddies. Um, you know, we were out scouting. And uh, we saw some ducks in this field across the street, and we were just wondering if you happen to be the owner of that field. And just just being kind and letting people know what you're doing um, gives people a lot of confidence and trust. Uh, and they're more likely to give you permission if you approach it the right way. If you're kind of acting weird or standoffish or aggressive, eh, that that's not good. You definitely do not want that. So... If you do get permission, make sure you abide by the rules or guidelines that they set. In fact, you can jump on that on the front end to make people even more comfortable and say, hey, if you know it's a wet year, you can be say, hey, we'll, we'll walk in all of our stuff in. You don't have to worry about us driving in, getting stuck. We are going to leave the property better than we found it. I want to leave you with my phone number in case, um, Anything comes up or something that we need to know if if uh, a farmer or somebody's going to drive in or whatever it may be, just be open and upfront with people, and that's going to help you out a lot. But also, do what they say you can do or can't do. Uh, If it's a super dry year and you can drive in and they don't mind, you know that's fine. You know, definitely try to stick to the one way in, one way out type of deal, uh, just for. Practical purposes, but um, yeah, just let people know your intentions, be upfront, be professional, be kind. And that goes a really, really long ways when you are face to face with somebody. If you get a no, that's okay. You just let them know that, uh, you know, you appreciate their time and you can leave them with your phone number and you can say, hey, you know, if opportunity does come up or if for some reason you do change your mind, you know, I'm available and call or text me. But other than that, I appreciate your time and I hope you have a great day. So, you know, just leave with a positive experience and, and hit the road and go find some more you know, some days you're going to be getting down to the last few minutes of light and you're scrambling to find something, you know, you might have to settle on, you know, if you've got a no on something, but you know, it's a field, maybe that they're flying over from the roost and you can run traffic in between them, you know, maybe go try to find the landowner of that other field and see if you can get on that one. If you can't find an X, you know, ideally when you're freelancing, it's uh, nice to be able to get on X's, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you can't Get on anything at all. Uh, you might be in an area that's got a ton of pressure, and you're just getting tons of no's or stuff's already locked up, and you're gonna experience that. I mean, as much good that comes with this stuff, there's gonna be some stuff that's not so positive. So uh, you just kind of have to go into it with the mindset that you know everything's not likely to go perfect. You know, you you could have a flat tire, you could have uh, a day that you don't get to hunt because you couldn't get on something, and that's that's just the life of freelance waterfowling, but man, when it all comes together, boy, is it special and rewarding. Okay. So say that you do lock that field down and you get to hunt and you have a great hunt, or maybe you don't have a great hunt. Maybe you have a a not so great hunt, but I feel like it's, it's important to I think it's important to go back by the house after the hunt and just kind of letting them know how much you appreciate them being willing to open their land up to you and your friends to hunt. You know, they don't have to do that and whether you had a great hunt or a a bad hunt, honestly, I don't think it should matter if they're not home and you have their phone number. uh, You know, I don't think you have to, you know, sit on the phone for an hour, but I, I do think it's nice to try to reach out and just, Tell them thank you. Just tell them you appreciated it. Uh, you picked up after yourself, and you know maybe next year when we come, maybe we can come see you again. And that's just a great way to possibly have a place that you can go back to and build a relationship with somebody. And and honestly, I've had people that I've met freelancing that they've got my number, and there'll be times they'll just randomly text throughout the year, see how things are going and as as it starts getting closer they'll start giving me reports on where birds are and uh oh I, my friend's got this farm over here like he'll definitely let you hunt if they're still there you know i'll put you in contact with him so don't think oh just cuz i had a bad hunt i shouldn't go follow up with this guy like dude you never know like who knows who and what kind of relationship could be built with that person so uh, keep that in mind if the situation allows it and it's a you know a type of place that it's it's legal to do that sort of thing, I think it's nice to get a gift uh for someone just as a token of your appreciation. I don't think you have to spend a ton of money, but you know, you can find out what type of beer somebody likes to drink or dessert or something like that. I think that's just a nice gesture that goes a really, really long way when it comes to um, getting access in the future. The biggest thing with freelance waterfowling is the waterfowl community in general, you we don't want to do anything that's going to mess up an opportunity for a fellow hunter in the future. Like don't go out there and drive in a field when somebody says you can't drive in it. Don't go out there and leave trash behind. Clean up after yourselves, leave it the way you found it and make it a good experience for the landowner. If they have a good experience, they're much likely to let somebody else on next time. If they have a bad experience, they're likely to shut it down forever. And what could have been an amazing opportunity for somebody down the road, maybe even yourself, is shut down. So don't just think about yourself when you're out there. Keep other people in mind as well. And use, use common sense and common courtesy. Like if a group is already there, Or beat you there or they're sitting on a field go somewhere else like go find another field go find another option it's no different than when you're in the woods in Arkansas and you wake up early and get a hole and somebody comes and motors in and sets up you know 75 or 100 yards from you like we don't want anybody to do that to us you don't do that to other people you get you get moving up the road and you go find another option. And if you don't find another option, you just say, well, you know, hope they killed them. You know, they beat us there. That's the way it goes. Um, But if you get out, you scout hard enough, every year it gets easier and easier, especially if you keep going back to the same area because you've got your relationships built and you can start getting the scouting reports and you just kind of find generally where the areas are that hold the, the largest concentrations of birds. So, You know, I'm sure I've missed some stuff. There's some stuff that I haven't covered. Um, But I know I stressed on it pretty hard whenever we were talking about it. But in summary, absolutely, hands down, no questions asked. The most important part about this whole talk is scouting. Freelance waterfowling, scouting. If you're not willing to scout and put in the hours and burn the gas, you're just not consistently going to be successful. That's all there is to it. You have to scout. Like I said, if you're going in together with your buddies, that can be very difficult in one truck. But if you got seven buddies that are going and you have two trucks, great. You can split up, go two different directions, uh, get together that evening, talk through your options, and, and hopefully you go beat them up the next morning and uh, rinse and repeat and do that for you know three or four days. So... If anybody has any questions, you know, waterfowling is so situational. There's so many different ways this thing can go. Like, for example, like maybe somebody's going up to freelance snow geese. That's gonna go totally different. My recommendation, like, I'm gonna say for snow geese, you know, I, I like hunting in the spread and and it's a lot of fun, but. For most people, I'd probably say, you know, get out of the spread, you know, get 15, 20 yards out of the spread, make your spread extremely, extremely long and uh, let them ride that thing down. Snow geese are greedy bastards. They're going to make their way to the head of the spread. You know, that conversation could go so much different because then I would say all the white socks that you needed. But in general, I think most people that are going up or going to kill dark geese and ducks, primarily probably wanting to kill ducks because everybody loves to kill ducks. But a lot of people are killing snow geese and ducks and boy, I mean ducks, if you can find a combo, you know, snow duck feed, you know, Saskatchewan or something. I mean ducks, we've had some amazing duck shoots and white spreads. Uh, The ducks absolutely love them. In fact, we've set up some white spreads before just to kill ducks sprinkled in like five dozen silhouettes and a couple spinners and, you know, we killed maybe 15 or 20 snows, but honestly, we were there for the ducks. Um, and we've done that before. And we've had some amazing hunts for snows as well. But uh, the, the suggestions and the recommendations would just be different based on what you told me. If you're in an area that, you know, is targeting heavily, heavily targeting specks or heavily, heavily targeting lessers or, or honkers or uh, snows or ducks or cranes. I mean, gosh, we haven't even talked about cranes yet. Uh, which are an absolute blast to hunt. So there's so many variables when it comes to that decoy spread and putting your spread together for freelancing. And we're here to help you out with that if you want to reach out and you have a question and you want to get detailed. You know, a lot of times in the Facebook group, people say, what decoys do I need? And I'm like, man, like, I'm not trying to be, like, rude, but I can't answer that question. I don't even know what you're doing. Like, are you... Are you hunting hawkers? Are you hunting ducks? you hunting specks? Are you in the Pacific Northwest? Are you in Oklahoma? Are you in Missouri? Are you in Saskatchewan? Are you in Manitoba? Are you in New Brunswick, Pennsylvania? I don't know what you're doing. Like, are you hunting X's? Are you running traffic? Are you running like hunting kind of like a soft X? Do you ever hunt, like, are you ever back shooting birds? Do you ever hunt them over water, loaf ponds? Um there's so many variables to determine if somebody need to be using sleepers. Do they need to be using black and whites? How many ducks do they need? How many specks do they need? How many snows? You know, like what decoys do I need? It's like, dude, I need to know where you're hunting, what time of year, what you're targeting. That's going to be a pretty good start. Um, and then we can even get down is to the nitty gritty of, you know, looking at the weather for determining, um, you know, maybe even mixing in socks in certain situations, and when we would utilize those. So you know, we could we could play that game and change the uh, decoy spread all the way up until you know the night before. Heck, even the morning for if if the wind does something different or shifts or changes, or you're you know you're going for a side shoot or maybe a quartering back shoot. Like oh my gosh, there's so many variables like talk about this for days and I love talking about it but we only have so much time so guys thank you so much for listening and tuning in I know we're going to take a a little break for a while but we are not going anywhere we're still going to be just as available as always I hope this talk helps some of you out maybe give you a little bit more confidence to make the trip but honestly I I can give tips and advice but until you just go up there and do it yourself it's all It's all a learning experience, and that's like anything uh, any of these species. Like, we learn every single time we go out. You know, if you kill them, that's great. If you don't kill them, you should learn something. So, you never lose. You win or you learn. Um, That's something that we talk about a lot. So, if you win, see what you did and how you can apply that moving forward. If you lose, learn from it and say, hey, what could I maybe have done? Differently, or what could I do different next time to see if we can get a better result? So, we thank you all so very much for tuning in. I hope you all have a wonderful and wildly successful fall waterfowl season. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.